Sustain 267. Welcome to the Sustain 267 podcast, where we host conversations with Africans on climate change, the environment, and sustainability in Botswana and the rest of Africa. I am your host, Patukili Sidzi. After a very long break, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you to season three of the Sustain 267 podcast. We hope during the break you had time to catch up on our last 40 episodes that we've published to date. And since then, a lot has happened. Um, we now have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our channel. And we are on LinkedIn, so let's connect. Please also check out our Patreon page for other updates on what we've been up to since we've been away. Today's episode is another first for us. This is the first episode we have recorded live and in person. It was recorded at the Climate Action Network International Annual Strategy Meeting in Bali, Indonesia. For this episode, I am in conversation with Gambian-born global human rights and environmental rights activist, Mohamed Lamin Sadiqan. Mohamed established and led the largest pan-African movement of movements in Africa and the diaspora called Africans Rising for Justice, Peace and Dignity for almost six years, then moved to Climate Action Network International, where he currently serves as the head of building movement power. In 2016, Mohamed Lamine and his colleagues organized a widespread protest to get long-term Gambian dictator Yaya Jammeh to step down, a success that followed many years of his work with young people and women through training and non-violent organizing for social change. Lamine was one of the leaders of the Women's Land Rights Campaign and the famous climb of women to the peak of Mount Kilimanjaro for their land rights in 2015. He was awarded the Pan-African Advocate of the Year in 2018 and named one of the 100 most influential young people leaders in Africa in 2019. Our conversation was inspired by a comment or rather a strong statement that Mohamed made at the meeting. He called for African climate justice activists to be organized, for them to be more visible. A large part of his work is organizing. My first question was, why is it important to organize as climate justice activists? You know, without organizing, then we'll be disorganized. And then if you want to create an impact in any field that you work in, especially climate, which is, needs an urgent organizing and action for us to save many lives and save our, our lives ourselves. So in that process, it is critical for us to organize and channel our demands that must be rooted from the grassroots and the needs of the grassroots people that we work fight for or work for to be able to you know effect serious policy change and system change systematic changes that will transform lives and you know bring dignity to the lives of people that we fight for that climate catastrophes and the effects of climate change is kind of almost stealing and destroying lives and stealing dignity from 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 the people as you're talking about organizing i was like actually one may take it for granted that we know what organizing is but what is organizing what does organizing look like when it's successful when we say we're organizing for climate justice what does that look like yeah one can view this or see this in different in different forms but a simple you know explanation one could give to this is you know one thing that we is clear is that the systems 
that are supposed to give, you know, dignity and equality and justice, a just society, are failing to deliver, you know, that just society that every, every person lives in a life of dignity. So when systems failed, it, it, the consequences becomes catastrophic because mm-hmm. then a lot of people lose their lives through the effects of system failure. So the citizenry that all the leaders are serving must be organized so that they can bring their voices together, they can bring the power together and speak in one common voice and put their demands together. So then they can transform their own lives by taking the power that they have given to the authorities to lead them. In my organizing work, you can see view organizing in different angles, you know, you know, through online, you know, means of people coming together and speaking one voice, but also through offline, you know, organizing, through meetings, through capacity building, awareness raising so that people can be aware. When people don't know about your challenge, they cannot be in solidarity and they will never join your fights. So that popular education, awareness creation, to bring that people's level to a level that they should be able to act and ignite them so that they know that their destiny, their destiny is in their own hands. One thing that is critical that I know is that our leaders, especially on the African continent, listen to two things critically. Mm. One is numbers. When we have numbers, the leadership fears that if they don't act on our interests, on our requests, on our demands, they will lose the, num- the, 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 the privileges and the space and the, the positions that they have for, that, that, that they have been given because the numbers put them there. But the other thing is media. You know, media informs and educate people, and we have it in our hands, like the social media. You know, it's in our hands. So when people organize themselves through media and educate and inform people. That media can transform them to take action. We have used, we have seen, you know, activists like myself and others have used media effectively to get organized and educate people and use it as a tool to mobilize so people to take, for people to take action. So a media is a very powerful tool because it informs, it educates, it, it mobilizes quickly, it kind of builds power for action. When you talk about what organizing is, it's basically taking the power that we have individually and consolidating it to create almost a superpower. People's wants, people's demands, and in that, then balancing that power between, let's say, the people and our political leaders, the people and institutions, the people and, I guess, those who we've given the power to make certain decisions for us. And then you mentioned something else, systems change. What is systems change? Firstly, what is it? Secondly, what does it look like? And we keep hearing people advocating for it. Why do we need it? The world is run and controlled by systems. So, you know, the food system, one could say, you know, everybody will need to eat. The energy system, you know, everybody needs light. They need electricity to survive and feed on. You know, the education system that, 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 that build the mindset in terms of how we direct our, our work and how we direct our, you know, human civilization. The health system, you know, everybody depends on that. So if these systems are not working for human, for, him, for, the, for humanity, then humanity suffers. 
<laughs> so, but unfortunately, what have been happening is these systems have escaped from the hands of these ordinary citizens. It went into the hands of the few. They decide on the price of the commodities, the food. They decide on the price of the electricity. They decide on the price of how the environment will be structured because they're in charge of the land distribution. They're in charge of the health systems. You can see even the COVID, during the COVID pandemic. Some few people who are making the, the vaccines control it. They decide who should be vaccinated first and who should be vaccinated next. So I don't know that the systems are in the hands of few elites that control, remote control the world. We as organizers believe that you must disrupt the systems so that then the systems will be transformed and then they will work for humanity to live in life of dignity and be able to survive. So it's about, it's about life, it's about survival. So in organizing, we have what we call pillars of support. And these pillars of support put, you know, the monarchy or the oppressor in the, on top of the pyramid. So all of these systems that support and breathe and, you know, feed this, this, that monarchy to oppress us. If we dismantle the system that the, past, that the, the monarchy or the oppressor is surviving on, we will crumble this monarchy and then eventually people can build alternative systems of survival. That makes sense. So from right now where the economy is serving the very few, not even the economy, I just think everything Sorry. really <laughs> is serving the very few. And what comes to mind is something that I saw very recently, a few weeks ago, I think international oil companies were reporting their profits. And it's like ridiculous amounts of money when the whole world is suffering, and it's like, how is are people making that much money in the same world where people can barely eat? So when you talk about it's the system, yeah, this is this is what I'm talking about. It's the energy system that has now been captured by corporates. Mm. So if you don't have money, you don't have electricity. If you don't have money, you you, you don't you don't you cannot even cook because then your your cooking is based on electricity. It was based on gas. So these are controlled by 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 these big multilateral you know multinational companies that have been mostly owned and run by you know people from the global north or government from the global north and then the sad thing is they depend and there is a whole ugly phase of fossil fuel extraction being expanded on the African continent and many developing continent um, countries you know in the global south that they will be extracting and advancing the extraction of oil and gas and coal to be able to, you know, advance their survival. And this is very life-threatening because the, the moment they started these explorations and advancement at advanced stages, it destroyed completely our livelihood on, on, on the continent. It dismantled, it kicked our people, it evicted people from their from their communities, it polluted our environment, and all of that effects to you know, all the different patterns of our changes of patterns in our in our renaissance. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we all know that Africa depends, Africans depends, and global south people depends on farming. If, if rains are disrupted, they come up with flood. Last year, we, we know what happened in South Africa. Mm-hmm. As we speak today, you know, recently, a few days ago, you know, over 30,000 people died in Turkey and Syria. These are all, you know, cause failures of system, systems that, that are supposed to be serving people. When governments allow, you know, a few individuals to be in charge and to be controlling how things, how systems are directed, how systems are controlled, 
then we lose the equality completely in society. The dignity of people are, you know, normally wiped out by the effects of system failure. You know, looking into climate change becomes more more advanced in terms of in terms of how how society has been destroyed because of all of that. All of those system failures and corruption comes into being a big player because people have to eat, they have to do, they have to go through the back doors to have certain services. So it costs a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of other damages on the lives of of, of the ordinary citizens. I was having a conversation with someone last week around that whole thing of. You know, you have to go through back doors to get certain things You for you to get basic, basic amenities, to be recognized as a human, to be afforded certain dignities. You have to have a certain amount in, in your bank account, which is, which is really not right. So you're a Pan-Africanist. You are a climate justice activist. So when it comes to justice... A conversation I'm sure you've had a lot of times because also you just touched on oil and don't gas, don't oil Africa. The age-old conversation of how can you not gas on oil Africa when we've got energy poverty and connect that to justice when the African people need energy and they need to advance and they're carrying on the back on their backs the bill of many, many years of the developed countries. How do we then balance that thing of we're advocating for climate justice, but in that way, we're also saying don't Africa, who still needs to develop, shouldn't use their oil and gas? Yeah, I think campaigners are not saying that we should not use completely oil and gas without a proper, a proper transition, you know, just transition in that aspect of, you know, moving from fossil fuel you know, dependency to renewable energy dependency. I know I'm very aware and very clear and I'm in solidarity with over six million, six hundred million Africans who are really seeking for energy and looking for energy, you know, live in you know, serious energy poverty. This is very clear and evident. But one thing that we are saying is very clear as campaigners is that, you know, the Ukraine-Russia war cannot be used as a tool to mm. come and destroy Africa's uh, you know, resources or Africa's environment. And that highly depends on, on agriculture. And uh, when we know if we increase the investments of uh, the exploration of gas and oil and coal in Africa to a certain level, the climate change will be, the effects of climate change will be so detrimental to the African communities and then the farming communities will suffer the burden. I will tell you an example. I'm coming from a very small country called the Gambia. They used, when I used to be young, they used to grow this rice and then they used to feed themselves. But right now, as we speak, the village cannot even produce a bag of rice. So everything has been destroyed with all these effects of climate change. You know, if there is no flood this year, there will be drought. If there is no drought this year, there will be flood. So we live in that kind of a you know, serious dilemma of we don't know how what is going to be the pattern of 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 of, of rain that people depend on. So we are, what we are saying is there is a need and a clarity around how Africa can take the journey of transitioning into more green and re- renewable energy. But again, uh, you know, directing our investments to benefit Africans. We don't want to be used as the, the, the gas bank of Europe to be gas to be extracted in, in, in Africa, coal and oil to be extracted in Africa and it's going down to 
to feed you know the the, the, the Europeans or the global north we want we, we, we Africans must benefit from from all these investments we are blessed we are the most blessed continent in terms of you know natural resources but uh, we cannot see the benefits we cannot just see the the effects of this of this investment on the lives of Africans i guess then that's where the just element of the transition comes in where okay but if we're going to continue to oil and gas in the way that we have been we're going to get the bad environments that we can't even grow food in we're not even going to get the profits which means we're not even going to get development in the in the country it's just going to be a continuation of extraction but going back to the conversation of organizing there's a saying that says nothing organizes like tyranny because tyranny organizes <laughs> if you look at systems and evil systems oppressive systems the way they are designed the way they are architectured if the results weren't so ugly there'd be something to marvel at we can't always assume that when we organize we're organizing for good as we organize what principles as individuals if we decide to be organizers as organizations as collectives as communities as we organize what principles do you think we need to center around our organizing and always remember yeah um organizing have to be based on hope we cannot be just fighting for for nothing we must be hopeful that the tomorrow is going to be great and then nobody will come from anywhere to deliver you know justice for you or to deliver the africa we want or the 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 zimbabwe we want or the botswana we want we have to be as citizens of those countries of africa deliver you know dignity for for ourselves and then that cannot be done in silos it have to be done in in collective in a collective effort so that's why principle of solidarity is very critical that we cannot we cannot just allow ourselves to be divided into different fractions of of movements we need to really see us our fights as as a fight for social justice and climate justice or racial justice these are evidence that every african in some way or the other is crumbling with or dealing with you know the 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 the, the principle of you know you know cohesive and dedicated commitment towards this fight is critical and the you know the, we need to have values like courage we must be courage we must we must be courageous in a way that we should be able to you know confront when we need when we need be what we should be tactical in terms of using other approaches when we think that dialogues is the best approach for us to win faster so as 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 organizers there are certain basic principles of humility that every every activist need to have one of our great you know panafricanists said this and then encouraging us to be more human and then you know not to you know praise ourselves too much and then i mean the capital you know is a great inspiration for many africans said never lie but also be aware that you know you don't want to blow your own trumpet too much by you know announcing your victories or be very proud of your victories too much know that the fight will you you will win certain elements of the fight but then there should serve as a motivation for you to be able to step on you know for bigger wins that are out there because if we are too proud of ourselves without having an element of humility 
then we will lose the battle because then we will be seeing ourselves as as a champion. While it's not you as an individual, but it's the community that you fight for that create the number because you as a person cannot cannot create the number. So if you, if I conclude this by say uh, summarize this point by saying that you know when you look at one stick of broom, you can easily break it, but when you put brooms together, you can never break a, a bunch of uh, sticks of brooms easily. So that's how we need to be organized. We need to be that web that connects our forces together so that we can sweep any debt or any injustices that is in front of us to deliver ourselves dignity. And I think in addition to if you've got a collection of sticks of brooms, if one falls, you've still got many standing. And that, that's been a sticky point for me in terms of where we give the movement a human face. We're humans. We won't be perfect. And with every imperfection of that person, then we're extending that to the movement. But on principles, hope, hope, dignity, and humility. And I think the one that you really went into was humility quite a bit. And then as we end our conversation, this just seems like a lot. I work in, in the climate justice space and it's overwhelming. You see sometimes just the worst in humanity because you need to read so much. You meet people who are going through so much, who when they talk about you need to act on climate are talking about I've lost, the only thing I still have left is my life. And then on the other side, you meet people who are tackling climate because they're like, well, it makes sense for me to be sustainable because that's the only way for me to keep making these kind of profits. And then you're talking systems change and systems are so deeply embedded. You're talking politics. Just having this conversation, it sounds overwhelming. It sounds like a lot to do. Trying to bring people in, organize them to do one thing when people just always want to do their own thing. Why did you choose this? Why did you choose to dedicate yourself to this? Yeah, you know, we're in a critical point in life that every African or global citizen need to live for a purpose. You know, when you look at this social justice, uh, climate justice or racial justice fight, you realize that we don't have time. It's almost done. Incidents is happening every day, every, you know, from left, right and center. Our brothers and sisters are dying from the catastrophes of system failures. So if you don't act now, then what are you living for? That's why, you know, it's critical for us to join you know, organizations that will strengthen organizing and take leadership in those, you know, in those organizations to be able to, you know, coordinate efforts and power so that then people will realize that the, the potential that they have, they will realize the power that they have and, and, and can transform societies by themselves by holding leaders accountable and those who are not really acting on the demands and, uh, and requests from, for people, they can, be, they can be confronted heavily through non-violence actions and violence organizing, but, you know, through dialogues as well and policy advocacy to build, transform lives. Because if you don't transform the systems right now, you know, these catastrophes will continue to hit us harder and, 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 and bad. So, so we have to take the mantle of leadership in this space in our hands and then know that we all have a moment to live in this life. We must be able to leave a mark so that generations will know that you have not failed when it's, it's time for you to act. 
Thank you so much. And then in closing, we've had a, quite a conversation. We've touched on a lot. So if someone's listening to our conversation, what would your call to them be? So as an individual, but individuals make up organizations. So your call to organizations, possibly your call to governments, and then lastly, global. So your call, to, what can people do right now after listening to this? We have to unify our forces together as, as people. You know, we should know that one person cannot win a revolution, one person cannot bring change. It has to be us together to unify our forces so that we can build that power that transforms society for all, all of us to live in life of dignity. Um, collaborate and partnerships. What would organizations do to get us closer to organizing? Organized organizations need to come down to the grassroots. Mm. They need to come down and connect their work to the grassroots because all what they're doing is to, you know, claiming to be fighting for people that need to be manifested in their work. We should be able to link our grassroots work and advocacy and campaigns to policy work. Global linking to global system change policy processes that will transform society. So organizations must be realistic and know that the solutions is in the hands of the people and then they need to be rallied behind the people for the transformation and give them all the necessary support and guidance for the transformation to be real. Governments. Yeah, governments we created governments are created for equality. So they need to deliver. And then they must collaborate, especially African governments need to collaborate so that the the all these unjust investments that are coming to the continent, you know, for them to dismantle this you know, ugly global north systems that are that have been controlling Africa from independent before independence from colonial time to now. One thing that is critical that we need to know is that we have to unify our investments and our development agendas as as as, as people in the global south, but especially in Africa. It's very sad that we are still divided. We cannot still go to each other freely. You know, we cannot still use you know similar economic systems. I will conclude by saying, if Europe can have Euro, what is stopping Africa from, from having an Afro? Mm. If we are not able to even trade, then how do we survive? Mm. So Africans and Africans, you know, governments really need to know that unity is power. And that they need to unify their forces so that they can serve African citizens better in a, in a more meaningful and sustainable manner. Mm. And then lastly, the globe as the world what should we be doing? Citizens of the world need to understand that we all live in the same pain. And when one goes down, it might not affect you today, but you might be the next victim. So that's why issues of climate change need to be a global, you know, common interest and common issue that we all need to work together to address together. Mm. It is critical. And it has been manifested during this pandemic, the COVID pandemic, that the whole world went on lockdown. It affected everybody. And climate catastrophes and the effects of climate change are also hitting us like that. So that's why we have to address global challenges in a unified and common with common interests because we are all intertwined. Either we like it or not, we are sharing this art and we must protect it together. Mm. If you protect the art, you are protecting our lives and our survival on that. Thank you so much for that. When you say that, what, what you said about we'll all be affected, it reminds me of something that I think I heard someone from an island state. It's a phrase that they use sometimes that says, 
in terms of climate change, in terms of drowning, they're like, we will be the first, yeah. but we will not be the last. Yeah. Mohammed, thank you so much for making time to speak to me. Thank you for having me. Organize, organize, organize. Thank you for listening to this episode. And please subscribe to the Sustain 267 podcast on whichever platform you're listening from so you can get a notification whenever we put out new episodes. And remember to give us a rating so we reach more people. And a huge thank you to the Sustain 267 patrons for the financial support that has made this episode possible. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically a platform where you can support creatives to create content like this podcast. So if you appreciate the Sustain 267 podcast and have learned anything from it, feel it is necessary and would love to contribute towards the production of future episodes, please become a Patreon from as little as $3 a month. And the link is in the episode notes. I am the host of Sustain 267 podcast, Pato Kilisite, and the sound engineer is Maleho Makhoti. Let's connect on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on our handle at Sustain267 and continue the conversation. Take care. Sustain 267.